Wellbeing Creative Podcast is fueled by my good friends at Great Lakes Coffee Roasting Co. Celebrating their 25th year anniversary, Great Lakes Coffee believes that coffee is no longer a commodity. It defines a community. It tells their story, local, global, and everywhere in between. Sourcing direct from farmers, roasting here in Detroit, and always handcrafted, this is coffee as it's meant to be. So, whether you're sipping from your favorite mug at home or savoring the last drop at one of their three shops or countless coffee bars, know that you're part of the story. Because at the Great Lakes Coffee Roasting Company, it's not just about what you're drinking, it's about the journey to your cup and where we'll go from there. Wellbeing creative listeners can get their caffeine fixed by using code WELLBEING for 10% off your first order at greatlakescoffee.com. Again, that's promo code WELLBEING for 10% off your first order at greatlakescoffee.com. I was in like a really dark period for, and like sometimes I would come out of it, but I feel like it was at least a year and a half or two years where I was like constantly anxious or depressed. And when I would go to write music, I couldn't do what I used to be able to do. You're listening to Wellbeing Creative, a podcast that breaks down stigmas and creates a conversation surrounding well-being in the creative fields. My name is Harrison Diskin, and I'll be sitting down with creators of all types to discuss how they manage the inevitable stress, anxiety, and health choices that come along with creating in today's wild world. Hey, it's Harrison. Today on Wellbeing Creative, I sit down with my good friend Dan Hacker, aka Muzzy Bear, for quite the conversation. In this episode, we get into how it feels to be an artist while battling bouts of dark headspaces and how to be triumphant in those times. We also talk about traveling the world as a performing musician, and we even get into the specifics behind the intersection of EDM and alternative reality. So sit back, put down your game controller, and listen to my conversation with Muzzy Bear. Hey, it's Harrison, and my guest today is one of the coolest guys I know and also one of my closest friends in the world. His name is Dan Hacker, but most know him better as Muzzy Bear. Dan is an extremely talented musician who tours the world playing music alongside our mutual best friend Grizz, as well as playing solo shows in just about every U.S. market you can imagine. Beyond music, Dan is an extremely creative fellow whose hobbies include tattooing, drawing, writing, photography, and of course, video gaming. We have been meaning to make this episode happen since the podcast was just an idea, so it's with great excitement I welcome Dan Hacker, Muzzy Bear, to Wellbeing Creative. Dan, welcome to the show. Are you ready to get deep? Oh, I'm ready. Let's get into it, man. I just hit the diving board. Let's awesome. Let's get deep. Cool. We're going to the deep end. Yes. Um, so, you know, I think most people want to know a little bit about Muzzy Bear and the background of how you're, you got to this point in your life. Mm. Um, so w- when did you first pick up a guitar? I, I remember I, I must have been... Eight, eight or nine years old, maybe maybe younger, but uh, when I was a kid, like my parents kind of pushed me really young into music. Uh, I took father son piano lessons when I was like six, mm-hmm. and was always I just remember music was always playing in the house, and whether it was like Barbara Streisand or the Beatles or whatever, my parents like were music people. Um, and then I remember like borrowing my next door neighbor's guitar to take lessons with this old lady. Her name was Adele. Mm. I was like younger than 10, had to have been maybe like eight or nine or something like that. And then took a few lessons and I was like, I don't know if this is for me. My hands like hurt after playing guitar. 
Um, but then I remember on my 11th birthday, I was at Costco with my mom, and there was an electric guitar on sale. It was like 150 bucks mm-hmm. for a Yamaha fake Stratocaster and a little baby amp. And I was like, Mom, I have to have that. And I took some more lessons and like figured out how to teach myself how to play tabs and stuff. And I got made a couple friends at school that thought it was cool that I played guitar. And I was like, it's cool to play guitar. And I like music a lot. So that's my thing now. I'm the guitar guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then it was like people are making fun of me for playing guitar instead of playing sports. And that was all of like high school and stuff. But uh, I was always like teaching myself new songs or like finding some kids in high school to jam with. Shouts out Jacob Diskin. Uh, and, you know, I was like the camp music guy at Overnight Camp. Mm-hmm. Shouts out Tamarack. And then uh, the summer going into my freshman year of college at the same camp, I was working there and I heard about this guy that was like some beat maker, DJ dude. And I was like, no, no way. And I ended up meeting Grant, who was said beat maker, DJ guy. We like, he goes by the name Grizz. Yeah. Well, back then he was still DJ GK. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is summer of 2010. Mm-hmm. And we linked and there was like a staff talent show at, at camp where like I sang and played guitar. And he like at the end of the whole thing, he like set up his little DJ setup and DJed. And I was I remember the moment like I remember what song was playing. It was feeling brand new from Little Learners. Like I remember who I was with. Shouts out Taylor Kamen and Esther Rubian. Like, we were there. And I was, I saw everyone else that was there disappeared. It was just Grant. And I swear to God, I saw Red Rocks. Like, the, the, the vision. I mm-hmm. saw it then. And I was, like, blown away. I was like, yo. I ran, like, everyone rushed up to him after. Everyone was blown away. But I, like, pushed him out of the way. I was like, yo, dude. You go to Michigan State, right? And he's like, yeah. I was like, I'm going into my freshman year there. I... I'm pretty all right at guitar. We need to hang out because I need people to make music with. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was just guitar player kid, minding my own business, teaching myself how to play Jimi Hendrix or Red Hot Chili Peppers or whatever. And then it was like, it took a couple months for us to link up. And then like, I want to say December of my freshman year, I went, under, I went over to his place, brought my guitar and we recorded like, three songs that Mm -hmm. day and he was like this sounds sick and i was like dude this is amazing it was like the first time i really felt like i was creating music like before Mm -hmm. i was playing other people's songs and i could do a guitar solo and like make some jamming happen like i could improvise but i didn't feel like i was writing parts to a song i didn't feel like i was creating really creating music like from my soul and then he asked me, he's like, hey, I'm playing a show in Kalamazoo on Friday. Mm-hmm. Do you want to play with me? Mm-hmm. I was like. So let, let's back it up from there. Okay. Okay. So um, through high school, you're playing music. Mm-hmm. You're heavily involved in, in your school. You went to a Jewish day school. Yep. So a lot of that is, I mean, how, how much did music play a part in your, your high school time? So it was actually really I was in a really fortunate position mm-hmm. and it was only after reading uh, that book outliers mm-hmm. by Malcolm Gladwell that I realized that like, I'm sure everyone can do this in their life. But 
when you end up in a place in your life, you can look back and see these moments where you were kind of pushed in a direction and onto a path. Mm-hmm. And for me, going to that high school was one of those things because, you know, middle school, I was playing trombone in band class and playing guitar outside of school and like trying to do like the emo rock thing and like make music with my friends. And we would like play Blink-182 songs and Hawthorne mm-hmm. Heights and shit. Ooh, can I swear? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hawthorne Heights and shit. Uh, but it, it was like, it was like they, they had a band with each other and then me and one of those guys had a band and like, I was never cool enough to be in the cool band and like, whatever. So I went to high school where there were out of the 200 kids at my high school, 215 kids, there were like 10 kids that were like really into playing music. That's a small high school too. Yeah. I mean, my graduating class was like 58 people Mm -hmm. and I knew everyone in the whole school all four years. Mm -hmm. Um, so you could I re- really make a name for yourself as the guitar player. Sure, sure. I mean, I tried. Like, I remember in in ninth grade, we had like journaling in English class, and I'd write like trying to impress kids. Like, I just want to be a famous musician, and like mm-hmm. I was like trying to manifest it as a kid. At like I was, I was thirteen when I started high school. I'm like the younger end of my grade. But yeah, there were always there were always like ten kids throughout the four years that were you know jamming, and some of the teachers were like. We had like a little club called Jam Wednesdays where all the kids that, that wanted to jam, we could like go. There was like a little performing performing arts room where like if they had band class, that's where it would have been. So my freshman year, I like brought my guitar and my amp to school and was yeah. like, hey guys, I'm Dan and I, I want to play the guitar with you. And uh, luckily there were a couple more kids from my grade that were into it and there were a couple older kids uh, Ian Lefkowitz was one of them. Our yeah. friend Ludlow, he makes beats and kills it now. And Matt Greenberg was one too. Nice. I mean, that must have shaped you. <clears throat> that must have shaped you as a musician pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, I went from having nobody to play music with to having people that were like, here, like check out Radiohead and like mm-hmm. check out the, like you were like, in the jam bands at the time too, right? I was super in the jam bands, and these were the kids that were showing that yeah. that stuff to me. Yeah, and. Uh, then it became like, you know, cause I was always kind of like, didn't really cause trouble. I was just like, kind of stayed quiet. Like when I spoke up too much, people would bully me. So I kept to myself and the teachers all loved me. What do you mean they would bully you? Oh, kids. I mean, kids being kids, you know, but it seemed like in my high school, I kind of got in like an extra level of it. For some reason I was deemed like this kid, you know, whatever. They, they would call me any name imaginable. Like, mm-hmm. The F word, not fuckhead, you know, and like yeah, all kinds of mean shit. And it's because, and when I look back on it, it's because I was who I was. I was never trying to fit in with anybody, maybe more than like, oh, that dude has Nike SBs. If I get Nike SBs, maybe I'll be cool type stuff. But mm-hmm. I never really, I never really like tried to fit in with anybody because pretty soon, I, like pretty early in high school, I realized that I'm very different than all these kids that had been going to private school their whole lives and like were rich as hell. And like, I was just middle class. Like my parents could afford to use some of my college money for this high school because it made sense for me because of the kind of student I was. And mm-hmm. pretty early I figured out that like I was on my own and maybe I'd have a couple close friends, but like music was my 
best friend in high school, straight up. Do you think that's common for a lot of, uh, you know, like young adults growing up in, in middle school and high school playing music that they kind of feel a little more outcasted? I think in general, and I think it's a, a like a shame, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I think that our society, at least American society, really, and when you're middle school, high school, like your formative years, they really push athletics. Mm-hmm. And when a school loses funding, the first thing that goes is arts, whether it's create like fine arts, theater, music, whatever. Um, and ne nowhere is that more apparent than a small Jewish day school because mm -hmm. our school sucked at sports. Mm -hmm. Our basketball team was like the only thing worth a shit. Every other team lost every game. And our basketball team, if we were lucky, got to districts. But the arts shined. No, no, no. The, the arts was even worse oh, because wow. all the kids in the school wanted to be on the basketball team uh -huh. or the baseball team. And I was like, whoa, like, this is weird. I'm like, I, I'm, I don't know what to do. And I like even like played baseball my freshman year and would like go to practice and like do the whole thing and then throw up after. Cause I got, I like worked out, like ran five miles in a baseball practice. And I was like, this is who I am. Like, I'm cool guys. And like, I tried so hard to do that for my freshman year. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'm just going to like go do theater stuff and like jam with these teachers. Cause there were some teachers at my school that were in on the jamming and like some other kids were cool. And I was just like, this is, I'm going to be this guy. I could have been that other guy, but that other guy is not me. I'm way more comfortable being creative, mm -hmm. being like flying under the radar, kind of like being really nice to my teachers when all the other kids are being rude assholes and like, I'm just going to be me. Did that, did that level of confidence give you any repellent to the bullying? I mean, I was really bullied in middle school too. Like mm -hmm. kids would make fun of me for having a big head or mm -hmm. like, I remember there was a kid in high school that made fun of me because I wore a hat one day. Mm -hmm. He's like, you can't wear fitted hats. I'm like, well, I'm wearing one, but okay. And I like put it in my locker because I was like, oh no. What is it about kids that just make makes them want to pick on people? I think I was an easy target, man. Like I was always pretty insecure because I was like, especially in high school, because I was like, what am I doing here? And yeah. in middle school, I had like a solid group of friends and I kind of floated around between a few different groups of kids. Like it was all it was all good because public school. I mean, there's everyone, mm -hmm. but in my high school, felt like you were either one kid or you were an outcast. You were either like that perfect like, well, it's gonna be. I mean, gonna be a doctor or gonna go. You know, everyone's gonna go to University of Michigan and everybody's gonna. You know, mm -hmm. you're either that kid or you don't fit in. And I was somewhere in that gray area, so I was like, I had a couple friends from both sides of that paradigm I was kind of like in the middle of the Venn diagram like I didn't fit in with anybody but because of the music thing and the theater thing like I had a few friends and really just focused on that so as you're progressing from you know being a jam band fan and, mm -hmm. and even a band member um into more electronic music uh and your music taste changes mm -hmm. how do you think that affected you as a musician well so for me in high school, it was always like, like you were saying, like jam bands and st and like Radiohead and Bon Iver and like indie rock. Mm -hmm. And I had heard, I had heard of this guy, Pretty Lights, and I heard of Flying Lotus, and mm -hmm. I listened to some of their stuff, and I was like, okay, this is cool. 
found out who Jay Dilla was, like senior year of high school. And I was into instrumental hip hop. I was like, okay, cool. But I didn't connect that that was electronic music. And to me, electronic music was all house music. And at that point in my life, I didn't know how to process it. And I was like, it just sounds like David Guetta to me. So I wasn't into it. Um, but when I start link, linked up with Grant Grizz, uh, I heard his music and I was like, whoa, like this is, ele- this is definitely electronic music, but it is nothing like what I had thought in my head was mm-hmm. electronic music. And it opened up all these possibilities because for me, uh, in high school, when I was jamming with all these kids, I was always the one that took it the most seriously. Mm-hmm. And like, we would jam at school, but to get kids to hang out outside of school and play music, like, so didn't go much beyond like staying late at school and playing for an hour or two after school. It's because or most of those kids wanted to be doctors or whatever. Right? They were just, you know, you so know like, like they were studying or they were going to a party and right. I was like going you knew, home. You knew early on that you wanted to be a musician. I was going to try mm-hmm. for sure. I was like, until someone said, you, like you're not cut out for this mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it and I was always like trying to write songs I wasn't that great at it but when I met Grant and he showed me Ableton and like showed me Big Gigantic and Pretty Lights and like really dove deep and showed me all of this variety that exists mm-hmm. you know like Aphex Twin and Telefon Tel Aviv and all that stuff that I still love so much um I didn't understand that all of these ideas that were in my head that were beyond just what I could do with a guitar and like maybe ha- make it happen with a piano could be channeled into something. Right. And that, and like, I kind of understood how to record music and like Ableton, I figured it out pretty quick as far as like arranging and making drums happen and stuff. Um, but it was like immediately the floodgates opened and it was like, it was impossible to stop for me. For, Mm -hmm. like, the first, like, four years I knew what Ableton was, I was making songs every day. I was sending them to to you. I was sending Mm -hmm. them to our other friends. I was like, I just made this today. It it sucks, but what do you think about it? Like, it's like like a minute of an idea. Like, what do you think about it? And I was, like, cutting class to work on music at Grant's apartment because I couldn't not be around it all the time. For the record, none of it sucked. (laughs) Listening back to it now, I'm like, oh, damn, this was actually all right. But in the moment, I was like... It's so bad compared to my other friends that have been doing this for so long. But yeah. what's well, tough to compare, right? Which we'll get to later. Yeah, for but. sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about your writing and your writing process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you write obviously compositions of electronic music, but you also write like lyrics and, and mm-hmm. stuff to to Grizz musics and to your own music. Um, do you ever draw from personal emotional experiences, or, or what is what inspires you? I mean, sometimes it's the idea of something, like a story I'm telling in my head of Mm -hmm. something, and I'm trying to empathize with the the character in that story that I'm thinking about. Like, you know, Led Zeppelin wrote Ramble On about the Hobbit movies. Mm, I know that. Yeah, they they like talk about going to Mordor and destroying the ring or something. Um, So sometimes it's trying to tell a story of something that I haven't experienced, but is like a relatable thing that I can empathize with, like a bad breakup or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I've had a somewhat bad breakup before, pretty bad, but not like heart wrenching. You know, I'm still a young guy. I haven't had that like crazy, like divorce level, like terrible, like break my heart yeah. breakup, you know, but I've been there and I've been with people that have been there. So I, I can pull from my friendships and conversations I've had and kind of write 
from a, the, a care, an imaginary story of if that happened to me, this is what it would sound like. Um, other times it is drawn directly from something that happened in my real life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sometimes both of those things happen on the same song. Sometimes it's, I'm, you know, this thing happened to me and then this other thing also happened that made it even worse, right. but that other thing didn't really happen. Or, you know, now, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, it's like rappers rapping about flashy cars that they don't have. For me, it's like I'm, rap- I'm, I'm writing about some crazy experience that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, like back in the day, someone uh, stole, broke into my car and stole a guitar out of my car. Yeah. So I might write, oh man, my car got stolen. Like the whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's like little embellishments here and there of, of things like I'll, I'll just to make me feel more like how much worse would it have been if it was my whole car? Right. Let's write about that. You know, I don't know. So, I, and I, that's something I'm getting better at as I go is writing a hundred percent real shit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a more abstract thing, an idea. I just wrote a song, uh, it's about this idea that like we get caught up in a storm of emotions and a storm of negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Our negative thoughts are this storm that we create. But if you focus on the positive or if you think about it, every storm eventually breaks mm-hmm. and the rainbows come out and the sun, you know, clouds break and the, the rivers go back to normal, normal water height or whatever. And uh, water height. That's so dumb. But, you know, what I'm saying it's like, yeah. I haven't ever been caught in a rainstorm for a really long time and then seen the clouds break and there be a rainbow there. But yeah, you can you can describe that. And I can yeah, and I can feel that. You can feel that. And in my mind I can visualize that. And that and that to me that song is about anxiety and depression and getting through that and understanding that you know with the help of uh you know for me it's therapy, it's medication, for mm-hmm. me it's those things that help me normalize get back to a former version of myself that I was always happy. Um, and that's the clouds breaking mm-hmm. in the song is like understanding that, that positivity will come if you push out negativity, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, you know, so that's just an example of, you know, my writing process, I guess. So when writing about <clears throat> things like anxiety and depression, does that, make is that like something that's maybe a little cathartic or you know makes you a little bit more vulnerable it's definitely both of those things mm-hmm. so i mean it's uh, and and sometimes it you can tell i think in with any musician the if you can kind of tap into what they're singing about or writing about you can hear it in the music too mm-hmm. and sometimes it's you know for me this song that I'm talking about, it's very euphoric towards the end. And like the chorus is like where I'm talking about feeling better and the clouds are breaking and all that stuff. It's very euphoric. And then sometimes, uh, you know, you can hear in someone's music there. It's like, they're still going through it. So I think that it's, it can be a very cathartic thing and it can also be, I mean, I think writing music is always vulnerable if you want it to be real. Mm -hmm. Um, but it can be very cathartic you have to be vulnerable and sometimes it's like it's it's not cathartic but you have to get it out Mm -hmm. and i think that sometimes uh i think that being aware of of your boundaries are important when you're getting that deep with yourself because you can if you're in a dark place and you're writing about dark stuff it can 
keep you there or push you even deeper. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a level of it that involves, you know, being aware of yourself and being aware of exactly where you're at to see how, how far you can push it, how deep you can go, how vulnerable you can get, you know. I think we're all trying to find that balance. Mm -hmm. can, can you pinpoint a time where music has led to more <clears throat> like a perpetual dark period? Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, the last like two years of my life have been this whole like crazy back and forth because a couple years ago, like in a month, it'll be exactly two years, I had my first like serious panic attack, which you know about. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked about it and you were there for one of my panic attacks, but I was in like a really dark period for, and like sometimes I would come out of it, but I feel like it was a, at least a year and a half or two years where it was like constantly anxious or depressed. And when I would go to write music, I couldn't do what I used to be able to do. And it took a lot of pushing and it took a lot of, you know, trying and failing. And sometimes the failure, a lot of times the failure would push me deeper. And I'd just be like, I'm not even cut out for this anymore. I'm, I suck. You know, I would get into that headspace where it's like, you're, you're already upset. So you're trying to write, write the feelings away and get that cathartic release. And then it doesn't work and mm -hmm. you feel worse. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely happened. Um, what do, your, what do your panic attacks look like? I mean, what, what form do they take? I get, I get the heart attacks. Yeah. I feel like, like I'm dying. Full on palpitations and all of that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, and it's usually, it's usually because, like, for me, it's like this feeling that I start, like, seeing these, like, crazy, like, I'll see, like, coincidences, right? Like, this just happened uh, at the Super Bowl party. I had this song stuck in my head. It's this really sad song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was singing it for like three days. It was in my head. I was, I had just like heard it and I was like, wow, it's a beautiful song. It's so sad, but like I, it's stuck in my head. And then I was singing it. I was talking to my mom about it and she had the same song stuck in her head for mm. three weeks. So shit like that will happen. And then I'll go in the other room and I'll be talking to the kids in the other room about Black Mirror and how all this stuff's a simulation. And sometimes when I watch Black Mirror, I feel like I'm watching another reality type stuff. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the stuff that I get anxious about and get like weirded out about because sometimes it's like, it seems too real. Yeah. You know, it's weird. Um, and then when that happens, like I'm like, my brain just like starts spiraling out and I have like mini panic attacks. And sometimes usually when I try to smoke weed or weed is involved, that's when it gets to the heart attack, panic attack level. But on a minor note, like on a more toned down level, it's just like my mind is racing in this direction of like feeling like I'm going crazy. Mm -hmm. And then I need to like go to a mental hospital because my brain is not working normally and mm -hmm. like all this shit. Right. Um, and then what calms you down? Talking. Yeah. People. You've been there for me before. Grant's been there for me before. My roommate's been there. My parents, like. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned therapy and medication too. Yeah. So I was in therapy for a while, like when I had my first couple panic attacks and it like wasn't quite working for me, but I was on medication and I, that's been like a two year process of like dialing it in and figuring out what works for me. And I'm finally like got that part dialed in the past couple months. And then I just recently started with a new therapist, like in the past month that's like 
he just gets me. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those psychotherapists where I made this metaphor a couple of times. I think it's perfect. It's like when you think of a panic attack, it's like a pot of boiling water. Mm-hmm. And there's all this all these bubbles releasing all this gas and that's how my brain feels. It feels like someone put my brain on the, on the stove. So this guy, instead of focusing on the bubbles and being like, Oh, just calm down. Like it's, you just calm down. He's like thinking about the heat source. Mm-hmm. Like what's, what's happening on a subconscious level that's making this happen. And he's really helped me process that. And it's nice, man. It just turns it into a fleeting thing, and it's like, oh, this is happening right now, but it's gonna, it's gonna stop, and it'll be fine. And I'm just overreacting, mm-hmm. and I'm able to tell myself that, so that it doesn't even happen. The panic attack doesn't even happen because when I feel it ramping up, or when I f- start feeling that, I just be like, Dan, calm down. Mm-hmm. This isn't the case. This is not how it goes. And that's, it's been a blessing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, feel, I mean, that's a great technique. Um, yeah. a meditation teacher that I follow, Joseph Goldstein, he calls it wagging the finger. Mm. So like this, you know, like a panic attack will start to arise and he essentially will give it the attention it deserves, which is recognizing it. Right. And then wagging your finger and saying, no, 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 like mm-hmm. not, not right now. Exactly. You know, I have this sticker on one of my laptops and it's like a, a scythe, like the Grim Reaper. Yeah. And it says not today. Right. I think about that all the time. I'm like, no, no, no. Like yeah. Dikembe Mutombo in those old commercials. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. Not today. <laughs> Not in my house. So you're you're still working on on battling some of these these you know um, yeah the, the things that are going on. Um, how how does that play into your like day to day music life and your day to day personal life too? Really? Yeah. Um, well, you know, the one the good thing is that when you are making that conscious effort to improve, mm-hmm. whether it's in a mental health way or I got to get back in the gym, uh, which is like they all kind of go hand in hand. But when you're, when you're, you know, improving your self-care techniques and it improves your self-worth. And then mm-hmm. when you have a better self-worth, you feel like you can work better, work smarter. And I feel like when you're, when you're working and then you also have all this other like self-improvement stuff going on, it keeps your mind off of all of the negative things. And for me, a long time, I was like really torn in the direction of my personal music project, like outside of Grizz. I didn't know what kind of music I wanted to make. I didn't mm-hmm. know if I wanted to just do DJ shows. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't like nothing felt right identity wise. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing like made sense. I was like, I'm a DJ, but when I DJ, I play five genres of music and mm-hmm. like, no, it, like it's fun, but. What am I doing? And then when I'm trying to write songs, nothing right is coming out. It doesn't feel real. Like it, do, it just feels like I'm trying to sound like something else. And ever since this kind of like this self-improvement journey, let's call it, has started, uh, I've noticed that my ability to write songs that feel real is, is like next level. Like like some I'm finally making the kind of music that I want to be making. And it's like you're tapped in emotionally or something. Right, right. And it's it kind of all plays off of each other you know the the sense of uh you know i'm working on my mental health and i'm working on my physical health and i'm working on my friendships and relationships and like reconnecting with old friends and you know i'm doing all this stuff and kind of going in the right direction and then it kind of all starts to fall into place Mm -hmm. you know as as you know touring musician though uh you have to balance all of that with performing all over the world mm -hmm. and almost every weekend um yeah you know, you took some, Grizz took some time off, so it's probably been a lighter year for you, but yeah. in general, you're constantly traveling. How do you, how do you balance that? Man, <laughs> it's 
So that hasn't been, luckily, like you said, Grizz has been taking some time off. So I've had a lot of time to process all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, we've had for, for like more or less a year now, we've had like minimal shows. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like we played some shows last year, but it was fewer and farther in between. We didn't do any crazy long touring, like a month long tour. But I mean, when it comes to touring, the best part of it is that I'm doing it with my really close friends. I mean, Grant is my best friend, favorite person in the whole world. Our touring crew is like people that I could spend every minute of every day with. And we know each other now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all been touring together for a few years. And it's just kind of one of those things where we're there for each other. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact, because like new people that have come into our camp from other camps are like, this is an anomaly. It's rare. Rare. Yeah. I mean, I've Super rare. It. It's definitely rare. Right. Yeah. You've been there. It's yeah. like we're, we're, we're on vacation almost, and then we just happen to play shows every night. So the only thing, the hardest part of it is being able to do that for weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's like after two weeks of tour, the, la- the second half of tour, once I'm over the hump, is like more difficult. You know, it's like, oh, I just can't wait to get home. Oh, you know, because the, the, the first week, excitement is there. It trickles into the second week and then like the middle of the second week until the middle or until like the end of the, the, or until the last week starts basically. It's just like the hump. You're just like, oh, we're like in a groove. So the shows are going fine and it's just kind of becoming this like robotic thing. And you're just like playing the same stuff every night and you just kind of, you're just like, uh But what about the contrast of going from playing for, you know, tens or that tens of thousands or more, you know, huge crowds to, you know, getting off stage and, and coming back to a, a semi-quiet life here in Detroit. Right. Man, I mean, to me, that I get more affected by that at, like, on tour. Because when I'm at home, it's like I'm not even this touring musician. And mm-hmm. I, almost, I almost turn it off when I'm home. Yeah. You know, because I... I love my home routine. I'm I'm living in a place now where like a lot of my close friends live here. My parents live in Detroit. You know, so for me, it's almost like I have a home life and a tour life, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, like the the post show depression or the post show just like that come down, it does happen right after the show for me. Mm-hmm. And like it's more of like a what the fuck just happened. Right? Because I at this point in my life, we've been doing this. I was 17 when I met Grant, so we've been doing this for like eight or nine years now. Yeah. Uh, this is nine years that we've been doing this, and I still don't understand how it happened to me. Yeah. It's, right? It's or any of us, right? Yeah. I'm just like, what? The, like, that phrase, what the actual fuck? That's some real shit, right? And so for me, like, when we go on stage and we play in front of a couple thousand people, I'm feeling great on stage and then you get off stage and all the adrenaline just like disappears. Mm-hmm. And I, that's when it hits me the hardest. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the, after the show until I go to bed is the hardest couple hours for me. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just so zonked. I'm like, okay, thank God I can just go right to bed. I'm passing out. Right. But sometimes I'm up for like until like five in the morning after a show and we finish playing at midnight because yeah. show is super hype. We're all stoked. The show went really well. And then you go back to the bus and you're just like, now what? You know? I totally relate just even as a promoter, yeah. you know, right. coming off like a sold out show and getting home and just like not being able to turn that off. Yeah, you yeah. can't. You can't. And after and then I think that's why 
after the first third of tour, that feeling gets so tiring that the rest of it just is like, it just all feels like that. Yeah. Except when you're on stage. Yeah. And then after doing this, the stage show for 12, 12 to 15 shows in a row, it starts to feel the same. And right. you just feel like you're, you're this robot that's like, here I am. You feel like the band at Chuck E. Cheese almost, you know, except you're traveling. Do you ever do anything like weird up on stage to try and just shake it up a bit? I love trying to get Grant and Stu, our tour manager, to laugh yeah. on stage. Because you guys all wear like in-ear monitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we all have the in-ear monitors and Grant has a microphone that just goes to the in-ears and right. I do too, like our shout mics. So during the crowd, I'll be like, or during the show, I'll be like, look at this guy in the crowd. Doesn't he look like Harrison? Or like, <laughs> look at this guy in the crowd. Doesn't he look like, like Stu? And I'll like try and get everybody to like, notice something that was different about that show or like trying to get a laugh out of it or like make a joke or like, you know, for a while there's this song that like that we play is like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three. So in the mic, I'd just be like four, four, yeah, four. And everyone would laugh. And like, that's trying to just like spice it up and keep the energy high because like sometimes it just feels like, I'm phoning it in, yeah, which yeah. is the worst because I'm never phoning it in. You know, like it's right. not if if it seems like I'm phoning it in, it is not genuine. It's like I'm trying, I'm in my head thinking about what I'm playing so I don't fuck up or something. And then someone's like, "Man, Muzzy didn't have a lot of energy on stage last night." It's like it's the fifteenth show. I want the show to be better than the last night. And we where, where would you where would you see them or hear them say that? The internet. Do you read a lot of comments? I need to stop, but it happens. And there are times where people are like, man, Muzzy sucks in general. Like, I'm convinced that the general consensus is that it's like Grizz and this random dude that's standing next to him playing guitar. It could be anyone. And luckily, some people, like, love and support me, and that's amazing. But my, my anxiety makes it feel that because there's that one comment out there or those five comments that you see over the course of, like, six months or whatever, that everyone is like, who's that guy? there's a better guitar player out there than him. So I'm always just like trying to play my best. Yeah. So that people leave the show like, damn. I don't think that's an abnormal way to feel though. It can't be. No. It can't be. No. And, you know, um, social media might be totally agitating that more and more for musicians and performers and artists in general. I mean, everybody, it's like everybody has this microphone going into your headphones. Yeah. You know, everyone has the same volume, same voice. Yeah. And it's one tweet, one Facebook comment, one Instagram DM comment, whatever, that can really throw off like a whole day or a whole week of shows. And you're like, damn, like that dude, you know, that dude, John Doe, he really fucked my shit up. And then like you start, you start to feel the repercussions of it. Cause then you're like, maybe I do suck. And then you start sucking, you know, but it's about ignoring that shit. And I think when Grant took a year off of social media, it really showed us all that you don't really need that stuff to feel good. And in recent months, I think it was like six weeks ago now, I just like was like, I'm deleting the apps yeah. over it. And it wasn't even because it wasn't even because of that negativity, but it was more just like uh I would go on there and feel like I was uh watching a TV show of someone else's life. Yeah. So it kind of comes back to like when we were talking about comparisons. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just comparing myself to so-and-so, 
you know, famous DJ this guy or, right. you know, whatever, whoever it might be, like Kanye or Murakami or, you know, I'm looking at these tattoo artists and I'm like, And that's oh, just not so fair to good. yourself. Right. And yeah. it's not. It's not. It's a waste of energy and it's a waste of time. And it's just like, yo, man, I, I look in the mirror sometimes and I have to remind myself, I'm like, yo, you are you. Yeah. And there's no one else that could be better at being you than you. Yeah. You're the shit at being Dan Hacker. And that's like my current mantra is just like my shit is good enough for me and I'm a tough critic. So it's got to be good enough for at least one other person. I don't need this social media shit. You know, yeah. I don't need to compare myself to anybody else. I'm me. People respect me. I have really good friends that I respect that seem to respect me back. That's all that matters. Yeah, and those are some good qualities of life. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not about how many likes that person gets or, you know, like, because we, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time now. And you see someone that you've never heard of before mm-hmm. that all of a sudden is like playing these way big shows and headlining these shows. And it's like, you start comparing and you're like, well, if I had done that first, I'd be there. Yeah. I'd be playing those shows. So who the fuck are you, random dude? Yeah, but oh. that's not the way it works. Right. And like, the, you know, as we learn that, it becomes such a, uh, it gives us such an advantage to be able to know that if they didn't do it, it wouldn't necessarily be you doing it. Right. It could be anybody else or, or it might not or even be done. Right. And um, it's and it's like, I can only be me. Yeah. yeah. I can only be me. Over that. This life that I have is like great. Yeah. And it's been tough, but it's been great. And it wouldn't be as great without the tough parts. And... Just because some dude over here went from zero to 60 on his career doesn't mean that it, that my career is going to be any better or worse or whatever. And you don't know how sustainable that could be. It's not even lunch, about that. Or, or any of it. You just right. Don't, you don't know. What but you get yourself in that headspace where like you're wishing negativity upon someone else. Yeah. You're like, that's not healthy. You're like, oh, fuck that guy. Yeah. I wish that he didn't sell out that Red Rock show or whatever. And then you catch yourself doing that and then it like translates into being negative in other areas of your life and you're like taking your anger out on your family or whatever, just like being antisocial and like laying in bed all day because it like you let it get you down and you're just like, after a while you kind of snap out of it and you're like, what the fuck was I doing? Oh, I was looking at social media and comparing myself to someone. Yeah. It's like, you know, because I, like for me, I mean, I'm a big dude. Like I'll look at some some other DJ thing and I'm just like, oh, it just must be, it must be because he's just good looking. <laughs> And I'm not successful because I'm ugly and fat. And it's like, no, man, that's not the case. It's not the case. I mean, if you were a mo- trying to be a male model, that might be the case. But you're trying to be a musician. Like, right. dude from Blues Traveler was famous. Right, you know, right, right. <laughs> he wore a literal harmonica vest. Like, you're fine. And <laughs> so I'm just like, I, I was like, I can't compare myself to anybody anymore. Like, it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. And it just gets me down on myself that I don't need to be getting down on myself. Because, like, then... I'll go and I'll meet that guy and he'll be a, a fan of mine or some shit. Right. Be like, yo, I've, I've seen you and Grizz like five times and you fucking shred guitar. And you're like, oh, I, well, I have all these negative thoughts <laughs> towards you. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, well, I've spent hours of my life wishing negative things to you, upon you because of whatever reason. Yeah. It's like, I hate how much I respect you. It's like, fuck you. And then they're just turn out to be like the nicest person ever. And I'm like, God damn it. All that was for nothing because now I really like that guy, you know? That's probably the, you know, some some really radical awareness, though, on your behalf mm. to, to see that and recognize it and be able to call yourself out on a lot of these things. It's more recent, man. I mean, I've always been, like, hypercritical of myself. 
Mm-hmm. I always like ever since I was a kid I, when I was getting made fun of, I'd be like, why are they making fun of me? Was it because I did that one thing that one time? And then I'm like looking through every lens at everything I've ever done. I mean, cause like I have ADHD, so my mind is always racing a mile a minute. Right. You know? But do you think that now you can be critical? Um, and instead of being, you know, uh, super analytical and critical you can be Mm. critical and problem solving totally yeah so example being like a a mindset thing i'm a big video game guy i love playing Fortnite, whatever and i'm a musician so uh that thing just happened with marshmallow in Fortnite. and marshmallow is a great example well let's just explain marshmallow played so marshmallow for those who may not know, He's Marshmallow is this DJ and he blew up really fast and he wears this helmet where nobody knows who he is and he wears all white and it's like very industry success, all the pieces add up together and he blew up out of nowhere and now he's making like $20 million a year playing shows and doing songs with Ariana Grande and whatever. So he's a huge, like the biggest name in electronic music right now, one of the biggest names. And Fortnite is a video game that is like took the world by storm in the past year and a half and is now, it's like astronomically big. And you can like buy skins for your characters so they can look like a dinosaur or they can look like, or a guy wearing a dinosaur suit or a guy wearing a hamburger head or whatever. It's a very customizable game. Very customizable game. And they make billions of dollars a month Selling that stuff. Selling these skins. Yeah. And I'm a sucker because I've definitely given them hundreds of dollars to get these skins for my game. Mm-hmm. And Marshmallow, in a perfect marketing move, put his outfit in the game in preparation for Friday or Saturday afternoon. Marshmallow's playing a show inside of Fortnite. Old Dan would have been like, fuck. All of this shit. Yeah. Fuck Marshmallow. Fuck Fortnite. Fuck gamers. Fuck EDM fans. Like anybody that respects this shit is a sucker. Everyone's a fucking sucker. And now? Like negativity Dan would be like that, right? Because for a million reasons. Now, and this just happened last (laughs) week. So I'm like, this is in the wake of me being like really hypercritical of myself and like being aware of all my thoughts and all the things I say and do. Everyone's talking shit about it. And all I can think about is... Hey, man, who else was going to do that? And how many opportunities does that open for everyone else? Mm-hmm. So respect to Marshmallow mm-hmm. for bashing that door down because 10, I think it was 10 million or a, like 10 million people went to a digital Marshmallow concert, That's which insane. is fucking insane. Yeah, in a lot of people. <laughs> 10 million people. I think before, I mean, granted, it's a lot easier and cheaper to go to a digital concert the biggest concert ever was like a million people at a Rod Stewart concert. Yeah, it was Rod Stewart in like Brazil or something like right. that. Right. So yeah. you throw that shit on the computer, multiply it by 10, and then throw Marshmallow on stage. And that's a thing that legitimately happened. Mm-hmm. And I, as a, as a musician in this age, as a video game fan, and someone who like dives into technology and like the simulation and all that shit, to me, positive Dan, I'm just like, yo, this is fucking dope. Yeah. I could care less that it's this guy that I have all these things to say about. Doesn't matter because for him, that's awesome. It's groundbreaking. Groundbreaking, yeah. right? Because now, maybe in the next couple of years, I'll be able to go see Flying Lotus play. Or, or Muzzy Bear. Right. Someone can come see Muzzy Bear play a show. But in- we used to do that. There used to be those those FM 
Oh yeah, like, like plug like, dot DJ. Plug dot DJ. And right. we would do that. Like Tuesday nights we would play with with all the subsynthesis guys out in yeah. Colorado and Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean that was fun. And it was a huge idea. So right. it's cool to see it actually like still live on. Yeah, like six years later. Mm-hmm. And this is like in a way because to me, I mean, like video games now compared to when I was a kid and we were playing Super Nintendo to like now where I can spend 25 hours a week playing video games in my yeah. free time is like, and they're like the most realistic things ever. It's like, whoa, like this, of course these worlds would combine in this way. Mm-hmm. And uh, like to me, I'm just like, all I can say is great things because all that's going to come from this is great things. And anything that's negative that's going to come from this and anything that I can say that's negative about this doesn't change anything. It's a wash. It's a wash. Right. So I'm going to bring it a little bit back full circle. Okay. Um, so video games are undeniably part of your identity. Mm. And I think maybe even on a larger scale, kind of ingrained in electronic music culture. Yeah. Um, I might be overanalyzing, but do you think uh, the juxtaposition of like playing huge shows in front of big crowds and then being able to like go into your room and like kind of tuck yourself into a corner on, on like a computer or a mm. console and play video games like like kind of um, you know anonymously on the internet do you think that like turns related? it off yeah. a little bit yeah yeah and it's totally I will say a hundred percent because for me it was always my escape from being bullied or having to do homework and like not knowing how to answer the homework so I'd pretend that I finished it and play video games and I can tell you now I'm seeing more and more of these these guys on the internet that I follow that I respect they're coming out <laughs> they're coming out as gamers but it's like <laughs> no it's like I see you know I see more like tweets like hey who's playing Overwatch or who's playing Fortnite or yeah, whatever it's huge it's huge yeah. it's bigger than it's ever been and I can tell you as someone I mean cuz for me I've always been a gamer so I can't speak on it so much but recently I got Grant into PS4 right. like he's playing Fortnite he's playing Overwatch and uh, his roommates playing and they're both like work all day, chill all night guys. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'll work two hours here and play video games an hour here and then play three and then work three hours there and then play two hours here. And then I'll, and then like once 10 PM hits, I'm just like done work. But these guys are like, wake up at 8 AM, work until 10 PM, turn it off, play some video games and seeing how much more relaxed Grant and his roommate are and how like stoked they get on video games. Yeah. I'm like, this is sick. Like they it's they they have an outlet exactly, yeah. and like for me, I can speak on the people knowing who I am and like playing shows for a bunch of people and then going on the internet and being anonymous. Like it does feel like there's like a a division, right? Mm-hmm. There's like there it's and it's that's a bigger thing. It's not even just like because it's me and I do this thing with a bunch of people that see me do the shows. You're just it's not like, being scrutinized as much, right? Right, online. and you're and you're playing behind an avatar. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you're like. I'm when I'm playing Fortnite, I'm just the guy with a dinosaur costume on. Yeah, yeah. Right? And like we're not I'm not talking to anybody else, but they, we we're all experiencing this thing together and like it's all of our collective experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and like when you're or when you're playing like a team game and you're talking to five strangers and you're working together to accomplish a goal, like nothing feels better because you're like, "All right, see you never. Bye. Yeah. Peace out." You know. <laughs> It's just a strange very human interaction thing. that never existed before. Right, right, yeah. and it, and it and it's tur- it really is turning into this thing where it's like, yo, like we we have the ability to be we have two different identities, mm-hmm. and for people that have two different identities in the real world, like an artist, 
where they're Grant and Grizz or Dan and Muzzy Bear or Harrison and Curated Music. It's like you throw on a video game and that's another layer. Mm -hmm. That's like the version where you're neither of the other people. You're just the guy in the game. Mm -hmm. You can just experience it in its raw form. And also just in talking about this out loud, I, f I feel like the connection to musicians might also, or specifically electronic musicians, mm -hmm. might be the like the the writer's block escape. Like mm -hmm. you're already you're already on your computer like working on music, so right. the next thing would just be like, oh, I'm gonna open up a a tab of of World of Warcraft or something. Right, you know? right. Yeah, I know people that do that. Yeah, for sure. I know one of my friends. He like he's been working on some songs for a long time, and he's like he'll get into the zone and then he'll feel like. He's like, I can't, I can't push myself any further. I need to take a break and play something. Mm -hmm. Or now with Twitch, it's like, I don't even need to play something. I can watch someone play something and interact with other people that are watching too and be like, hey, didn't Ninja do, that was crazy what Ninja just did or whatever. And it's a whole new world. That's a whole nother thing. And I think uh, we're living in a beautiful age where someone can create and live all in a computer. You know, because I mean, I don't really like go to the bars or anything. I don't go out. I go out to dinner or I come over to do a podcast or we hang out or whatever. But most of the day I'm on my computer at home. I'm either working on music or I'm playing a video game or watching Netflix or whatever. Uh, so I think as long as you balance that stuff and don't like exist too much outside of your human human body and yeah. into a digital screen, I think as long as you balance it, it can be a really healthy thing. Yeah. So I think you have a really unique set of advice mm. that you could give to other musicians that are kind of following in your footsteps um, as you've seen a lot, mm. you know, as Muzzy Bear and also as a, a band member in Grizz. Mm. Um, what would be some of the advice that you feel is most important to share with someone coming up? Okay. Is this person... I have to ask a question before I answer your question. Yeah. Is this person someone who has experienced something? Like has some experience or has no experience? What would be your advice to yourself in, in, in the middle of high school? Damn. Whoa. Okay. I would, tell, I would tell anybody that's younger or new, like more green to the music industry and entertainment and all that stuff to just be yourself. Mm -hmm. And I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. And what I was saying earlier, there is only one version of you. Mm -hmm. And the way that you express yourself is unique to you unless you're belligerently copying somebody. Mm -hmm. So don't copy anybody. Be yourself. Find people that like that version of yourself. Like find someone that find your friends that believe in the genuine version of you. Don't ever try to be some version of yourself that's not genuine and never find people that you need to impress besides like the getting them excited about something that you're doing, right? Like when I show you a song, it's because mm -hmm. I want, hey, I did this thing and I want my friend that I love to be excited about it too. And if he's excited, then I know I did something okay. Mm -hmm. But it's not like don't, don't, don't seek validation from others that's as far great. as, yeah. you know, don't seek validation from people that don't see your vision and don't believe in you as a person first, right? Like you can seek validation from someone that like, that loves you like a family member, a mentor, a mentor, best friend. close friend, someone that, someone that loves you, mm -hmm. like not in like a romantic way or maybe in a romantic way, but find someone that validates you already and then find, and then 
ask them to validate you creatively. And even then, if you know in your gut something is real and something is good and it feels good through your core, then that's the that's what you should be pursuing. That's what you should do. If it makes you feel good in every inch of your body, every bone, every muscle, and then someone that you trust validates that, there you go. What, trust what, that. What advice, what advice would you give to someone who is kind of more where you've been in the last couple of years, someone who's battling um, a, a darker headspace and, and still trying to be creative? Mm. I feel like I'm going to say some cliche stuff, but it's, it's a cliche because it's true. And that's kind of the stuff I was saying. Anything, any, any position that you put, that you find yourself in that feels negative or makes you anxious or depressed you're supposed to feel those feelings. Mm -hmm. It's important to process those feelings. It's important to experience them, but it's not, it is detrimental to hold on to them for too long mm -hmm. and to let yourself like wallow, let yourself get stuck. Cause for me, I was that stick in the mud. I, I was, I was standing on solid ground for a long time and it became this mud that like quicksand that I couldn't get out of. But once I stopped squirming around in the quicksand, I, I got out of it, you know, to make a metaphor out of it. But it really is instead of, instead of letting yourself get stuck, you have to be moving forward or at least moving constantly. And the same kinds of things, it's like find people that you can open up to, whether it's a therapist or a f close friend or your family or even a stranger that, that you just that they ask you how you're doing and you just let it all out one day. You have to be able to process it. You can't just like let it wash over you and stay underwater and let it let it build up, you know, uh, because eventually you'll get to a point where you can look back on it and be grateful that it happened because where you are now is so much better because of that experience. Mm -hmm. And it sucked while you were going through it, but it, you're going to learn so much if you just let it happen and process it and move forward. That's really wise. Yeah, I like Thank that you. advice a lot. Thank you. Um, it's real. Yeah. What are what are some strategies that you've that you've kind of instilled in your life recently that have helped you aside from like you know the actual therapy and, and mm. medication? Like, have, do, do you meditate? Um, in a way, mm -hmm. I would say recently, like in the in the past month or so, that I've really been like focusing. My biggest problem was sleep. Yeah having an irregular sleep schedule, going to bed super late, waking up super late. Have you been able to improve that? Yeah. So being able to monitor my sleep and going to bed around the same time and waking up around the same time every day. Like I went to bed, I went, I went from going to sleep between, it would be three in the morning and then I'd wake up at noon. Then a week later it would be five in the morning. I'd be waking up at one in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Then it would get so bad and keep getting pushed back and pushed back that eventually I would just be like, fuck it. I'm staying up all night and all day and I'm going to go to bed and I'll wake up and my shit will be reset. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's, that didn't work. No. That didn't work. It was just a vicious cycle that I kept getting caught in. And like, it would translate to me just feeling depressed and like not wanting to wake up because I was never getting the right amount of sleep and I was not, whatever. But recently I've been going to bed around the same time every night, like turning off my computer, turning off my screens and like laying in bed, being consciously aware of like, all right, I'm going to bed at two. I'm going to wake up at 10 get my eight hours, I wake up in the morning, I make a cup of coffee, throw on a record, 
I had just got a record player, so I'm like using it way too much, but I'll throw on a record, sit there and listen to a record until my cup of coffee is done. Mm -hmm. And I don't do anything but listen to the music. Yeah. I don't look at my phone. Being very mindful. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't look at my phone. I think about the cup of coffee I'm drinking and I listen to the record. And that's it. And that's my morning meditation every day. And some, for some people, it's something else. But for me, it's this cup of coffee and throwing on a record. And I sit there and listen. And that's how I start my day every day. I kind of greet the day. And then whatever happens from there, it just happens. That's really great. You know, great uh, ideal morning. Yeah. And honestly, I, I hope that if you ever find yourself in a difficult moment, in your headspace, I hope you can listen back to this podcast and realize yeah. how kick-ass your, your mechanisms for dealing with this are and um, <laughs> realize how well-equipped you are for, for uh, where you're at. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I think, uh, I think starting the day off right and getting the right amount of sleep is like the perfect start to getting in, like putting yourself in a positive mind state. Yeah, someone says, I, I don't know who, but it's someone like motivational. They say like win your mornings, win your life. Right. You know? Yeah, I was waking up in the afternoon every day. Yeah. Now I'm waking up at like nine or ten in the morning. I'm like, what are these five hours? Yeah, and that's like <laughs> that's like a, a very like military, like a, like the army. You know, like yeah, yeah. It's like all about like you know getting getting the morning accomplished. Yeah. Early so, bird gets the warm maggot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Making yeah. your bed. Yeah, yeah. So taking this back a little bit to the music career side of things, mm -hmm. is there a time you can remember a specific failure or road bump that has had like a significant effect on you as a person? Mm. There are a lot. <laughs> is there one that we can maybe talk about? Um, I think, and this is going to sound really shitty if anybody out there is a fan of me, but I think... No, this isn't that shitty. All right, never mind. Rewind. But I'd say like the last couple years, um, I put out I put out a, an EP. It's like seven tracks called Vintage Sutra, and the the result, the learning experience from that album felt like a failure. Like the process of learning and recording and releasing that record and looking back on it, it felt like super rushed, and I felt like I just kind of decided like. I have these seven songs and they kind of sound like an album. And I had people in my, in my corner that were like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Mm -hmm. And I did need to do it. But because I put that out, I kind of put myself on this path of not knowing what I wanted my music to sound like for years, years. And it, it took, I would just call the, like there were like two years after I put out that record that just feel like a failure. It, like entire like as far as making music those like two entire years felt like a failure because mm -hmm. in two years I put out one song and it was a remix and I just was like it was one of those moments I was like what the fuck am I doing I'm this guy like I'm in such a fortunate position where I'm playing music with my best friend and it can call it my job but there is so much more that I want to do and I'm failing there's like so much more I want to say. There's so many, so much more music I want to create and I can't make it happen. And it was, it was, it was tough because people in my life, they, they noticed it mm -hmm. and it translated to everywhere in my life. And I, I kind of turned into a, a wreck and it was like, I was just like, I didn't know who to trust anymore. I didn't know 
which way was up. I didn't know which way was the right way. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, well, I'm just kind of playing these shows as a DJ and I'm playing mostly other people's music and it's fun. But like I would be in my hotel room after the show and just feel like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. And it just felt like, like ultimately it felt like a big loss despite gaining, you know, some notoriety as a good DJ and getting better at DJing. But it felt like a big loss because that's not why I'm making music. I'm not making music to play other people's music. I'm not a musician to DJ, you know. Um, but out of that came this realization that the music that inspires me mm -hmm. is the same music that has always inspired me. It's always been Bon Iver and Radiohead and James Blake and Grizz and hip-hop music and all mm -hmm. this stuff. And it kind of, you know, in the past now 18 months in like while dealing with two years in a row of feeling like shit about my music and then in two years of going through panic attacks the emotional stuff yeah emotional shit it was like an awakening i was like going through all that and i was like enough i'm like i can't i was like a version of myself that i did not recognize yeah. it was so bad like i felt awful I was felt like I wanted to kill myself like straight up I was like my life is a, a one giant loss yeah and it fucking sucked it's a tough place to be it sucked I felt like I was a failure musically I felt like I was a failure personally I felt like I was you know I felt like I was a failure in the eyes of my peers in the eyes of my friends in the eyes of my family I couldn't look at myself in the mirror I was like who have I become but you're still in the midst of playing shows and you're right. still in the midst of, of touring and you have a hard drive full of, of beats. And, and right. So it's, it's a weird feeling. I'm, I'm sure. still making stuff that like sometimes it feels good, but most of the time I'm like, what the fuck is this? Right. And I have people that are pushing me. They're like, you're great. You can do this. And I'm like, I don't believe you enough. Like stop gassing me. This yeah. is bullshit. I know that I'm, I've been, I'm just in way too deep. I'm way over my head. I'm not cut out for this, and this is just all the result of dumb luck, and it got way too far. The kind of shit that a lot of artists and creatives deal with when yeah, things are going well. Feel that way. When things are going well, and then you're dealing with writer's block for like years, and then you're dealing with mental, emotional, professional shit all at the same time. It's tough. And that to me was like, it felt like my greatest failure. Yeah. And looking back on it, it was my greatest failure because I failed in myself. I failed at believing in myself. Yeah. And it it's that all of what I was feeling that was bullshit because right. all the people that were there for me that believed in me you my family Motorcam, Grant all you know who you are if you're out there listening yeah all of those people that were there believing in me were not gassing me up for to telling me something I could, I didn't believe in they told me something they were telling me things that I forgot I believed in mm -hmm. and that that feeling of doubt and all that feeling of like unworthiness and you know unable to unable to create all of that was something I brought upon myself mm -hmm. and now I'm looking back on it and I'm able to write you know I was just in Denver and I me and Grant he was helping me produce a song for my new album mm -hmm. and we made an amazing one of the best songs that either of us have ever made mm. in like a week in five days it's really exciting as a fan. Same, same for me. Yeah. As 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 a, as a fan of expressing myself, I agree. Yeah, and that happened in a week, and I went years. That's hundreds of weeks. 
without doing that and without thinking I was capable of doing that. Do and you, that, that to me was my greatest failure. Because do you think going through that failure though gives you perspective um, and, and you can now know that that's out there? That, yeah. that failure, that feeling, that dark spot exists and that it could, it could technically, I mean, it could come back just as easily as, easily as it left, right? You know? I hope not. But I mean, just no. as a creative person, there's going to be time, ebbs and flows and times where you're feeling creative, times where you're feeling stuck. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that exposure is, is, is uh, you know, part of what you have to deal with as, as a musician or an artist. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. And I think that what I learned out of that, beyond just like what that felt like and what what that failure was, Knowing it kind of established the boundaries of that dark zone. Yeah. You know, it it made me aware of the detriment that I can cause myself. Right. And it made me understand how how bad it can get how quickly Mm -hmm. and how long it can stay bad. And now that I'm feeling better and I'm working on myself one day at a time and living for the moment and all that shit, you know, all that stuff people talk about that totally works. I'm not trying to downplay it, but now that I'm in this like very self-aware position and understand how to stay positive and how to look at the positives, it's like I can I can understand that boundary. Right. You know, like when I start if if that if that if that place were to happen again, I know ways to keep myself active from to keep myself too inspired. Far. Right, from slipping too far. So yeah. it's like, like inevitably, you're gonna feel a day or two of writer's block, but letting that actually amount come in, like come up into a failure, right? Or, you know that that's just something that you know now that you can, right? You know, and it takes failure. a lot of work, you know. And it's like there were there were times where I would go weeks without working on music because I knew that every time I worked on music, something terrible would come out. Now I have I have firewalls in place where like. If something I'm writing for my album doesn't work out, then I can flip an old disco track because that's always going to be fun and mm-hmm. it's always going to be new. And it's, you know, it's always going to be relaxing and it's always going to work because disco music is amazing. And mm-hmm. all you have to do is chop it up a little bit and add new drums and it's going to sound awesome. Uh, and I love it, you know, so that's having stuff like that or making a hip hop beat. Mm-hmm. used to be my escape but now it's like i need to make a whole song like the three and a half minute version of that beat not just a 16 bar loop you yeah know? and then get your friend to rap on it and right and, and put it out and I all just, that yeah yeah i think that there's just a lot more you know before i let it slip into like going back to weeks at a time of not working on music it's like no you can go a day but no more than two days without working on music or making effort in your project somehow yeah like today i didn't work on music today but I went and met up with my friend, visual artist, and like we made plans for music videos for these new songs that I finished. And like we have plans, you know, we're branding stuff. So it's like at least, you know, there are, I, I found that there are other ways to keep my life moving and keep my creativity flowing without necessarily being in the studio, working on music, you know, feeling that doubt or that failure feeling, you know, it's like, well, if that doesn't, if, if making music is, if that isn't going to happen today, then I can still do something else to keep yeah, I mean, so what are some of those dynamics that go into the Muzzy Bear brand outside of just the music? I mean, uh, listening to music is huge. Yeah. You know, like not even like 
Checking out the hottest new electronic like studying. music. Just studying, yeah. yeah. Um, like listening to records, like having access. I finally got a record player again after years of not having one. It's like being able to sit and just listen to music and digest and or meeting up with a friend who's a creative and helping them with their creativity or finding out a way that we can collaborate together, like coming here and doing this podcast. It's right. like, no, I'm not in a depressed failure spiral creatively, creatively, but being able to step outside of that world and do something that feels validating getting far. shit done right exactly literally just that feeling of getting shit done no matter how it is whatever no matter what you got to do like it could be grocery shopping which is like going out and exp- like putting your energy out into the world somehow mm-hmm. when it might not be happening creatively is huge because you know just you got your creative juices you got your energy you got all these all these things that make up who you are as a person all these outlets mm-hmm. and you, if if one of them isn't working you have to put it put more energy into the other ones and then eventually it'll balance itself out what's um what's on the horizon for muzzy bear so i don't know how deep i want to get into this but uh it's a great place to to get deep <laughs> so what's on the horizon for muzzy bear is not much uh, I have some shows that I'm excited about, but for me, the the focus now is this new project I'm working on that's outside of Muzzy Bear. Mm-hmm. It's still, it's just, it's it's still me making music, and it's new, and it's fresh, and it's different, and it's a whole new thing. Uh, but it's not under the name Muzzy Bear. When it when it comes out, will will your fans know that it's you? Yeah, for okay. sure. Um, but so there's no, now. there's not going to be a mystery to solve. No, there's not not going to be a mystery to solve, and it's not going to be like anything crazy. It's just that for now, I'm trying to keep it under wraps and mm-hmm. have the have everything in place so that when it happens, it's it happens right. Totally. Um, but for now, Muzzy Bear. I mean, it's Muzzy Bear is becoming this project where it's the guy that goes out and DJs, and it's the mm-hmm. guy that plays guitar with Grizz and makes these awesome disco house beats, and mm-hmm. like goes. Out, and it's just. It's now that is my having a good time doing doing what I feel like project. Mm-hmm. And you have a uh, tr- track coming out with Grant. Yep. And you have you've played on his album too a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm on I'm on a feature for one song with mm-hmm. Grizz on the new record. It's called uh, Caught Up, mm-hmm. featuring Muzzy Bear, and it's a song that uh, Grant wrote that I performed. I've listened and I really love it. Thank you. <laughs> I do. And then also on that record, uh, I helped I helped write a couple of the songs. Mm-hmm. I helped contribute uh, like guitar parts and bass lines to a few tracks on that record. So that's all coming out in April, April 5th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have some shows. I have a show, a headlining show at the Gothic in Denver mm. at the end of March, at the end of next month, where I'm going to be debuting a bunch of these uh, like disco house edits that I've been making and I'm like toying around with the idea of having like Muzzy Bear Presents Disco Land where it's just like yeah. funk jams, breaks like dance party. I like that. Thank you. So that's that's what I'm toying around with for Muzzy Bear right now but what I'm really excited about is this new direction that I'm headed in which mm-hmm. is new identity, new persona intentionally separate because it is so musically different Yeah, and it is Way more inspired by like the indie rock and hip hop inspirations that I have in my life and like the more emotional stuff 
And it's not to say that it's like sad music because it makes me feel so good. And it is so, not only is it cathartic, but I really feel like it's this kind of euphoric thing where like when you hear the songs, you'll understand. But mm -hmm. it's, that's, that's as far as my solo project goes and like solo music goes, that's where the original music is going to be taking place. That's, it's not electronic music in the way of like a DJ playing it. It's like live electronic performance. indie performance type stuff. And it's me singing on every track and Sweet. producing beats and Grant's been helping with some of the production and, you know, I'm playing guitar and instruments and keys and all that stuff on this, on this record. And I'm really excited about that. And all of the Muzzy Bear fans will know yeah. when the time is right in the next couple months, I'm going to start rolling out singles and stuff. And this year, hopefully there'll be an album out by the end of the year. Uh, but that's like my main focus right now. Wow. For sure. Something that really inspires me about you or I'm very impressed by is, is like uh, how diverse you are in your creativity. Mm. Um, and I think maybe it's something that may have been overwhelming to you. Like yeah. and, and as we've been unpacking all of this, it's yeah. like, you know, um, y you have so many different styles of music, not just in your production realm, but also in your performance realm. Mm. Um, and then outside of music, you know, you play video games, you are a very good photographer and drawer and writer, like not, not songwriter, but like, like word writer, poet. Mm. Um, Thank you. And so how do you, you know, how do you stay rounded as an artist that has so many different, you know, uh, skill sets? I'll tell you what, it's, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, I don't stay rounded. I don't. It's either all music or music and a little bit of something else. But there's, it's like a paradox because it, it really is three things, right? It's music, drawing slash tattooing and photography. Those are like mm -hmm. my three outlets. And I'm either making music with a little bit of one of the others on the side or I'm fully in one and ignoring the two others, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Cause when I was going through that, that big bout where I wasn't making a lot of music, I was like, I need, I need something. Yeah. I need something. So I picked up a camera and I picked up, I bought an iPad and like started drawing every day. And then I don't know, then I like blinked my eyes and I was at a tattoo shop doing tattoos for people. And I was like, whoa. What's it that was, like to put something you, you, something you created on someone's skin permanently? It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm like, why? Like what? What yeah. do you, like what? And I'm pretty sure right now, if you put out a tweet that was like, hey, I'm doing tattoos in downtown Detroit at Foundation Hotel, I think you'd have a dozen people here in the next hour. I was hanging out with my friend earlier and he's like, bring your tattoo equipment. Yeah. I'm like, you don't understand. I haven't tattooed in like eight months. Yeah, you yeah. know, you don't understand. Yeah. It's not like that. But it is It is also like that. And it's something that I've, I'm very passionate about. I love getting tattooed. I love that that relationship between someone who's getting tattooed and the tattoo artist and like, like it, it is a collaboration and it's forever, you know, and, and spending that time in Denver at all sacred tattoo where they were like, yeah, come in for 10 days and tattoo as many people as you want. And we'll hook you up with the equipment. You did like a 10 day apprenticeship. Yeah. And mm -hmm. like, they taught me all the foundations and I like I to the point where I can do it on my own now. Yeah. Like I got I got all the stuff set up and yeah. I got all the the tools I need and all of the I just need to do more of it. But going through that experience was such a learning experience. Just as an idea in like the idea of like It's a life experience. Right, right. Yeah, in the cool. in terms of like I can I 
I can learn how to be good at something yeah. from not knowing shit about it, you know? And so maybe our word choice was wrong because I think you are pretty well-rounded. It's just mm. maybe the balance that you're working. That on. is exactly, yeah. exactly. It's the balance because now I'll draw yeah. or I'll, I'll do something in the visual arts, whether it's photography, like we were, I was on Holy ship and I had my camera with me Yeah, and I don't take yeah. it with me everywhere, but sometimes when the mood is right, I have it with me and it's with me everywhere I go. Like when I go on tour, I'm going to bring it with me and keep it in my little satchel with me wherever I go and like yeah. take pictures and post them or whatever. But, you know, I guess for me, the problem is that music will always be my bottom bitch. Yeah. You know, music will always come first. Well, music will always be the one. Um, and as much as, as much as these other outlets feel great and as much as they, they contribute to my identity as a creative person overall, uh, ultimately my goal is to be able to do all three of them and whatever. And like I have goals with photography and I have goals with drawing and tattooing and writing. And like, I want to start a podcast and like, I want to, I want to do all of these things, but I also am like very wary of spreading myself too thin. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with that is like, I just had this reawakening with music where I'm just like, I'm back in love with music. And yeah. I'm like, you know, like we had a falling out for a little bit. And like, I think she caught like music caught me cheating with tattooing and she, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. it was cheating on, cheating on music. And now we're back together and like, it's better than it's ever been type shit, you know? So I'm, I'm just kind of in the wake of that. And as that falls into place and begins to flow rather than just like, overflow yeah then it'll, i'll be able to settle back into you know expressing myself in more than that one way um someone really close to you uh mentioned to me that you have a passion for the theater arts oh and shit. that you can you can recite the entire spring awakening soundtrack from cover mm. to cover oh shit um who was that <laughs> Was it my sister? Yeah. Damn. Uh, but uh, she also mentioned that in fifth grade you were casted in The Wiz and you auditioned with a song from the play Hair. Oh, my God. Which might have been a little bit. Uh, yeah, I didn't know what it was about. Right. Um, but, <laughs> so, I mean, I mostly just wanted to mention that on my podcast. Wow. <laughs> but um, do you think Busted. you'd ever <laughs> you think you'd ever return to your thespian roots? It would be awesome. It would be awesome. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, uh Recently, like very recently, I uh, my mom has remained close friends with my high school theater teacher. Like mm. through the years, they knew each other. I, like we met him. I was in one of his his productions when I was in eighth grade, and then I was in all the productions in high school. And my mom was always like the theater mom that was there helping out. And like they started working together at this summer camp for like a theater summer camp, and like they've remained close. And I did a table read for uh -huh. a play that he's writing with one of my high school rabbi teachers. It's like a wow. sequel to Fiddler on the Roof. And it was just really cool to like go in and read from a script and do that whole thing. And like, I've always wanted to be a voice actor or something, something. Cause acting is really fun for sure. Yeah. And it kind of deals with that. Like it plays into the video game thing with like the voyeuristic, almost like I'm a different version of myself or I'm playing this character, like when I'm trying to write that song, like I'm playing a character that I'm empath empathizing with. It's like, you know, sometimes I write a song about, about being what it must like be like for Jon Snow, like right. being the prince who was promised, you know, or whatever. Like it also, I think goes back something we didn't even talk about in your passions is, is comedy. 
Yeah. And you know, I mean, like you've always joked that uh, your dream music set would just you being out on stage with a microphone. Yeah. And say, yeah. Hey guys, I'm Muzzy Bear. I'm going to tell some jokes. Yeah. Yeah. That, yo, that actually happened. We played this festival last year and, and it's called Backwoods Festival. And we showed up and like, I was contracted and like they had my writer and like mm-hmm. I was supposed to do a DJ set and whatever. And I show up to my stage and there's no equipment there. Mm. So they're like, we'll get it here in 20 minutes. It'll be here in 20 minutes. So for like five minutes, I just stood around and Grant was there. And I was like, Grant, what should I do? Like, I don't know what the fuck to do. These people are like staring at me and they know I'm here and they want me to play music. Yeah, They want me to do something. I was like, should I tell jokes? <laughs> and Grant's like, definitely tell jokes. And it was actually like, it went all right. And like, yeah. it was super fun. And like, I've only done comedy on stage twice. There and then one time at an open mic night in Denver, and they're both like it was both times the most petrified I've ever been on stage. Yeah, and like I've been doing theater since I was a kid, and I've been on stage in front of ten thousand people playing guitar. Right, but something about being there with the microphone and like trying to do it was like the fucking hardest, weirdest thing ever. So shouts out anybody that does comedy on any sort of level. Yeah, and is like pursuing that. I respect it so much. That's amazing. It's crazy. But yeah, I'd love to be back on stage in like an acting or comedy or something. It's fun. So we talked about what's coming up next for you. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about your past. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want our listeners here to to know about Dan Hacker or, or Muzzy Bear? Uh, I, I don't know that. I don't know that it it matters that it's about, uh, anything is about me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think that maybe. What's important is some of the perspective that I can offer and from my experience and I think maybe, you know, some of the things that I've learned in my 26 years on earth that that's why I'm sitting here in this room talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, it's because we're friends and we love each other and, you know, we care about what each other has to say. But I think the real reason that you have a podcast and the real reason that I'm here as a guest on your podcast is to get down to it and mm-hmm. like talk about it. And it's not like I'm in this lucky position where people do care what I have to say. So I might as well use my platform to talk about some shit that's way beyond me. Why, why, why is this so important to talk about? I mean, I know why, but why do you use it so important to talk about? Because for me, for so long, I was, I felt alone in the world and I felt like nobody's experiences were the same as mine. And the older I get, the more I realize that we are all, experiencing in our own ways, we are experiencing the same thing. And that is called being alive and trying to end up in a better place than when you started. Mm-hmm. Um, and better doesn't mean making more money and better doesn't mean living in a bigger house or having a bigger family or finding love. It doesn't, that's not what it's about. I mean, better in the sense of happiness and better in the sense of uh, fulfillment. And for, for me, I found that that fulfillment comes in, comes from making music or taking photos or drawing a cool picture or, you know, writing a joke or having a conversation with my friend that makes us both laugh so hard that I have to write it down so that I can Mm -hmm. tell someone else about it. Um, and I think that the, like the most important thing that I have to say that is about me is the things that I've learned, you know, not, it's not about 
Dan Hacker. It's not about Muzzy Bear. It's just about me as a human being and the things that I've learned, which is most importantly, being aware, being aware of yourself and not being critical of yourself to the point where you get down on yourself about stuff. But being aware of yourself that you can constructively like realize what's what might be what you might be doing wrong and actualize a better way to do it. Um, or, you know, constructively realize that you have a shitty sleeping schedule and you need to fix it and then work on that thing every day. And then eventually other things fall into place. And I think for me, you know, one of the biggest lessons I learned is to stay positive because mm-hmm. when you, when you live in, in a, in a, like I was saying, in a storm of negativity, that's you creating that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes other people influence that. And someone tells you you're a piece of shit or you're ugly or you're fat or you suck at what you're trying to do or, you you know, whatever negative things or you're too good at what you do that it makes them feel shitty. You know, uh, I think the most important thing is to is to empathize with where they're coming from, hear them and move on. Mm -hmm. It's like it doesn't matter why you got into this dark room. The only way out is to put light into it. Right. You know, Um, right. Because for so long, for so long, I was looking for the light in in the darkness. I was in complete darkness, mm-hmm. and there's nothing that you can do besides like find the find some kind of spark that you can turn into from a anything. torch from anything, yeah, and lead your way out, yeah. You know, because but also know, knowing that it, all it takes is that one small spark, right? You know, and a huge fire can come from that, right? Sometimes. Sometimes it's as easy as finding someone to talk to about something, mm-hmm. whether it be a therapist, like I said, a therapist, your close friend Harrison, your parents, whatever. It doesn't matter. Sometimes it can be that conversation that you can have. Sometimes it can be opening up with yourself and realizing like, hey, I need medication. Like my brain is not working no matter what I try. Yeah. Sometimes it's. For that, for the, for that part with the medication, what, uh, you know, th- there's also probably a huge part for someone who might recognize that, that their brain's not working right and needs medication, yeah. there's probably still a part where they're not willing to admit that. Right. Because maybe there's like a stigma. There, right. Not maybe. There is a stigma around not feeling good and, and getting medication for it. Yeah. And, and and that's one of those things where you have to be able to criticize yourself. Mm-hmm. And not, not, like I said, not in like a negative get down on yourself way, but in a constructive way. And for me, I was, you know, I was fortunate in that, when I was going through my panic issues and I needed to be put on medication, my parents opened up with me and they said, Hey, listen, like everyone goes through it and you don't know this, but someone in your life has been, has gone through this and it normalized it enough to me where I was like, okay, well, if that person did it, then I can do it too. Yeah. You know, I'm not alone in this situation. Right. And that's something that I've also, Something that I've also noticed, uh, and that's why I'm so open about the fact that I'm on medication. Right. I mean, Be- you've been pretty open about all of this, you know I mean? Sure. I mean, I'm an open book. Like, yeah. again, it's not about me. It's If someone can listen to this and be like, oh, that guy, whoa, like, okay, cool. Because I think a lot of times people look at you um, and a lot of people look at a lot of musicians, and I think this is where a lot of the pressure comes from. Mm. They, don't, they don't see behind the one person that's on stage mm-hmm. playing music in yeah. the most ideal environment and they forget to realize that there's a human behind there 
Uh, and I mean, this is not just for musicians too. This is for really anyone creative. Mm-hmm. Um, that creative side can really become the identity. Yeah. And then that can make your, the other side of things feel even more alone. Right. And um, the more we can normalize, uh, you know, not feeling okay. Yeah. The more we can normalize, you know, depression, anxiety, and, and thoughts. Doing of, the things of suicidal, to feel okay. You know, tendencies and all that. Like right. In the music scene since, you know, when our parents were, were hippies, you know, the right. music scene has been uh, always filled with, with that, that, you know, the, uh, it's a, it's an epidemic, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, uh, growing up and knowing that, you know, Jimi Hendrix passed away because of drugs, but then when you get older and realizing that he was doing drugs because he didn't feel okay. Yeah. It's like, it's a, you Self-hating. know, hating, right, or whatever yeah. it was. I mean, and then like, even more recently, you hear stories about like Chris Cornell and Avicii, uh, right? Avicii and Chester Penn- Bennington, and like yeah. all these guys that I looked up to when I was a kid, and like you're like, or Robin Williams, you know, like tragic shit, like or the be- dozen local kids who have right battled this in the Whoever. scene. You know, everyone, I mean, everyone knows somebody, and nobody's not affected by it, right? And you know, it's this tragic thing, and I think it's important to know that everybody goes through it at one point or another. And if if people don't, that's great. Some yeah. people some people don't, but a lot of people do. And one of the things that I commend Grizz for so strongly is that he has always been an open book to his fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know... I know him personally. It, I know that I can say that, you know, he really personalizes all the all the negative criticism that he gets, and sometimes it makes him feel like shit. Mm-hmm. Not suicidal, bad, not crazy, you know, off the deep end, feel like shit. But I can definitely say that there have been times where just being around him, I can tell that things get to him, mm-hmm. and he's always been very vocal with his fans about, you know, hey, guys, I'm a person too, and he's personable with his fans, and he does 12 Days of Christmas where he's out in public doing all this shit that makes people f- like, hey, this is just a normal guy that happens mm-hmm. to be making music, and that's what I think first and foremost, I mean, the music is amazing, but I think that people resonate with Grant and that they believe in Grant and they're rooting for him, and that's part of why he's gotten to where he is. Mm-hmm. And being so close to that, and being around that, it's like it. Of course, it rubbed off on me, and of course, like I saw saw the value in that, and was like, oh, well, yeah. Like there's there's like no point to being like shielded, shielded, and drawing this clear like clear dividing line it between be confusing, right? And yeah. it, it, I think it makes it worse. It's yeah. like you know there are these guys that are on stage, and there are all these people that are like, for lack of a better term, like worshiping them, right? They're like, oh, the God, you are the one, you're, 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 you're the Pied Piper and you're, you know, you're leading us to this euphoric experience and whatever. And then those guys get in their head and they're like, okay, well, I have to cut myself off. Like when I go on stage, I'm that guy. And then I get off stage and I'm this other guy. And like the shield is always up. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I can't be friends with my fans because I don't want them to see me as my real self and like all this shit. But I think there's such a beauty in being your most honor, honest self with your the people that support you. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I don't even call them. They're not. It's not even like a fans thing. Like you can't look at them as as that. You can't look at. It's like supporters, fam, people, fam, right? I mean, it's people that believe in you as a person and your ability to create the music that brings them to the shows and gives them this euphoric experience. It's not. It's not some kind of like dividing line. You're like, well, I'm the creator, and they're the recipient of this creativity that I've put out. So there's there needs to be this division, and I can't get real with those people, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, going to going to the uh, the camp Kulabunga with those kids, like that was one of those. Again, it's like one of those eye opening experiences where you're just like, no one else. I don't think there's ever been a musician that's done something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a quick explanation of Camp Kulabunga. It's uh, Grizz worked with our other best friend, Jared Berman, and together, um, I was part of the planning committee as well. Together, all of us put on this summer camp program at Tamarack, which is where Grant and Dan and all of our friends grew up going to camp and being counselors and staff members. And we brought 75, uh, we, we say kids because it's like a camp environment, but they're ages, you know, 21 to 30, um, half male, half female. And we just did this in, intensive summer camp programming with them um Mm -hmm. and we were able to really create this like amazing environment where we we gave everyone the open space to let go of a lot of things they were feeling and it opened up this huge gaping spot for most people there to just kind of let go and be you know and, and and in that it definitely grew this crazy community yeah and that's just like one of the many examples of times where you know as as Grizz, Grant has put himself so far out there to connect with the people that support him and, you know, create a space where people can enter it and be their most genuine self. Yeah. And I, I think it really rubs off on all of us. It rubs off on me, rubbed off on Harrison, it rubbed off on or you, I guess we're having the conversation here, but we're kind of talking to the yeah. to the people. But it rubbed off on all of us. And, and it, all the campers, and yeah. they get to bring it back to their communities. and uh, Right. And that whole pay it forward type of, you know. Yeah, and I think it's just a reminder that, like, when you're given a platform and you're, you're, you're given a, a soapbox to stand on where people listen to you, it's, it, is, it is so important to kind of shed the ego of that and not understand, like, put aside the fact that it's you standing on the soapbox and just say, like, become a vessel for things people need to hear. Right. You know, and, and giving people a space that they can they can open themselves up to and be a genuine version of themselves so that they can invite other people into the community and the community grows and then eventually you have a movement where you can spread positivity. and Or even, it doesn't even have to be spreading positivity. It can just be spreading awareness for... Anything, yeah, like whatever. People that like to wear <laughs> furry suits it, or whatever, it, right? It matters, yeah, right, yeah. So I think that that's important. I think that's really good uh, for you to recognize as a musician and mm. to be so tapped into that with Grant, um, and it creates such an awesome profile for both of you. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to hear the new music that's coming out. I'm excited to learn more about this mysterious project that's in the works. <laughs> I'm excited to see some of your drawings and yeah. to follow you on Twitch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where, where can uh, our listeners follow you and where can they connect with you? Yeah, so uh, 
Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. You just look Muzzy Bear, M-U-Z-Z-Y-B-E-A-R-R. Follow me on Twitch. I need to start streaming more because that's the most direct way to just talk to me. Uh, Reach out to me on any of the social media. If you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to just ask a question to that you think I might be able to answer, I'm your guy. Tweet me, DM me, ask me a question on Twitch during my stream, and I will get back to you as soon as possible. And if you need a digital shoulder to cry on, I'm here for you. That's great. It's very nice of you. And I know that you mean it, so it's cool. I do mean it. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, man. I'm I'm really glad that we were able to make this happen. And I I know that you'll be back for another episode because we're just getting started. So Thank you, Harrison. Yes. Until next time. Yeah. Thanks again for tuning in. And thanks to our sponsor, Great Lakes Coffee Roasting Company, for keeping us super caffeinated in the studio here. And just a reminder to our listeners, coffee lovers, you can use code WELLBEING at checkout at greatlakescoffee.com for 10% off your first order of coffee, coffee supplies, and much more.